Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with myself, Matt, and my brother, Todd. Hello. Today, we're going to do a different episode. Instead of covering a movie, we are going to do the inaugural opening of the uh, TV Movie Rewind Podcast Hall of Fame. When we first discussed doing a podcast, one of the things we discussed was covering our favorite people, actors, celebrities, especially those we felt did not get their full due. People we love, people we talk about all the time, but mainstream people seem to miss them or they know who they are, but don't, the people we feel don't get appreciated quite so much. Uh, but since this is going to be the Hall of Fame, we also have to pick some of our favorites, whether they're big, well-known, or smaller movies. So to open up, we're going to first induct each of our favorite movie, each of our favorite directors, and each of our favorite actors. Now, it's no surprise that, as said many times previously, my favorite movie is The Magnificent Seven. My favorite director is John Carpenter, and my favorite actor is the late, great James Coburn. So, for the first three inductees to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast Hall of Fame, we have The Magnificent Seven, John Carpenter, and James Coburn. Todd? Uh, yeah, man, for me, well, I'll start with two that are basically the same, and in fact, one you already mentioned. Um, but for my favorite movie, it's the original Halloween, the 1978 Halloween. Um, I won't go into a great deal of detail why, uh, but at least that's for another time, perhaps when we cover it. But basically, it's the reason I call myself anything of a horror fan. It was the first horror movie that I really got, and it just I just adore it. Um, my favorite director is John Carpenter. I'll do pretty much anything he does. If it's a commercial, if it's a music video, I don't care. I'll watch it, uh, and it'll probably be really good, um, if not awesome. And then... Um, my favorite actor, that's a tough one, um, but I suppose my favorite actor is Kurt Russell. And the reason why I pick him is because he's just got, he, you know, his name appears in a lot of my movies uh, that I have. Um, and um, I don't buy like every movie I see, you know, I, I, I only buy very few ones and um, he's in an awful lot of them. And he, again, he's fantastic. If he's doing it, I'm going to watch it. So. Uh, those are my three. That's uh, Halloween, the 1978 Halloween, John Carpenter, once again, because he deserves to be in here twice. He is the reason this podcast exists, arguably. And um, then Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, I am a big fan of as well. Um, probably my favorite living actor, mm. uh, followed closely by Harrison Ford. But sure. we'll get to those at another time. Yep. So we get to six days, seven nights. Yes. Sure, way, way down the line. Way down the line. So now we're going to discuss the character actors, for lack of a better word, that we've always really loved and enjoyed. And you can't talk about character actors without talking about Whit Bissell. Whit Bissell is often considered the king of the character actors. If you look him up on IMDb, you will see he has 322 entries under his filmography. That's incredible. That's actually a little bit short because he appeared in several TV shows and several different episodes as different characters. 
but they're only listed as one under the IMDb. So when you count each different character he played, you're probably looking at even closer to 350. Right. Uh, essentially double the um, who I believe will be the next highest uh, actor we'll talk about. But uh, go ahead. Now, he made his debut in The Seahawk in 1940. He had an uncredited role in that. And he made his last film appearance, well, appearance as an actor on TV in an episode of Falcon Crest in 1984, where he played Mr. Hobson in that episode. Um, if you likely know Whit Bissell, he had a uh, regular role on the short-lived TV series, The Time Tunnel, which was a science fiction series. He was in every episode of that as the leader of, the military leader of the Time Tunnel Project. Mm -hmm. He's in my favorite movie, The Magnificent Seven. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that, but The mm -hmm. Magnificent Seven's my favorite movie, and he just happens to be in that. You it's learn something bit, new every day. It's it's a bit part where he plays the undertaker who explains to two traveling salesmen that the reason he can't have the funeral that they paid for is because the deceased happened to be an Indian and the townspeople didn't think an Indian should be buried in Boot Hill. So the very uh, beginning, it's the very beginning of the movie. Very beginning. You know who else is in that scene? Bing Russell, Kurt Russell's father. There's no end to how awesome The Magnificent Seven is. Right. It is a great movie. It's absolutely a great movie. Like I said during the Young Guns, I'm not a big Western fan. You know that, but there are, you know, just like when you will recommend certain books or comics that you'll know, like, look, I know you, you'll like this. Um, that is definitely one of them. It's a fantastic movie. You know, the remake was pretty good, and even the TV series is pretty good. They're all fun. Yeah. Now, Whit Bissell was mostly small parts, like, for instance, in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He's the psychiatrist in the framing sequence of the movie, beginning and end where he's talking to Kevin McCarthy, trying to get the story out of him, of why he was running down the highway shouting, you'll be next. Right. Uh, he had a supporting role in Creature from the Black Lagoon. He plays Dr. Thompson. So that was much more of an active role than he normally got where he's there throughout the movie. And he was also in I Was a Teenage Frankenstein and I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Both of which, both in those instances, he creates the monster. So he's Dr. Frankenstein and I was a T.J.H. Frankenstein. Gotcha. And Dr. Brandon, who hypnotizes Michael Landon into becoming a werewolf. And in both of those movies, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Okay. So I believe it was just kind of one of those almost Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where he just brought the wolf out of... Michael sure. Landon and okay, I get it. Uh, I, I think, but okay, go, go on. I'll have to. But 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 in each of those movies, he ends up being killed by his own creation. Sure. Um, can I mention one other thing that I know he was in? Yes, and I'm sure you would know. And I made the joke of you could just as well call this episode one degree of Star Trek because he was in the Trouble with Dribbles episode of Star Trek. Yes, I mean, Whip Bissell, you know, dozens, probably scores of TV shows. And yeah, a lot of people on this list will have made appearances in many of the Star Trek series. As our next inductee, the second master of character acting, Elijah Cook Jr. 
Elijah Cook Jr. has 219 entries in his IMDb page. Yeah. Now, his career, despite not having as many appearances, his his career was very long. More than more than yeah. six decades. Yep. He started out in Her Unborn Child in 1930, and right. his last screen appearance was in Magnum PI, where he had a recurring role as Ice Pick. Oh, uh, old... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. His he he had multiple appearances in Magnum PI where he played Ice Pick, who was a, I guess you could say retired mafioso, who was the contact of Magnum PI's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, he's you know again major major movies like The Maltese Falcon, Shane, uh, House on Haunted Hill. You're probably familiar with him in House yeah. on Haunted Hill. He's the narrator. He's the one uh, opening. He opens it. He's that's his face, like above the house. Yep. He owns the house. Is yep. uh, he's the one that he's tells the story it. of it. And this was the thing for him. He played either the scared, you know, nervous guy, or he could play these ice cold, menacing, stone cold killer type of guys, like in the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in Rosemary's Baby as one of the. Um, Satanist, Mr. Nicholas. And he appeared in the three greatest vampire films of the 1970s. Okay, absolutely no one of them. (laughs) He's in Blackula, where he plays the coroner. He's in The Night Stalker. And he's in, of course, Salem's Lot. And we will definitely be covering Salem's Lot, because that is one of the most amazing... I mean, so many great Stephen King TV miniseries adaptations, but Salem's Lot is definitely top of the heap of those. It's my favorite. It's my favorite of anything that's been adapted of his. And I, I did finally read the book um, some time ago, and I, and I, I, I like the book a great deal, actually. Now, I mentioned that uh, Whip Pistol, of course, was in Creature from the Black Lagoon, and that would be the movie... I would recommend seeing if people are interested in seeing who Whit Bissell is. Mm-hmm. And for Elijah Cook Jr., I would recommend the Maltese Falcon. And um, one thing in, uh, I was going to say is that with, with both of these uh, gentlemen, Whit Bissell and Elijah Cook Jr., um, you've, I mean, I hadn't heard of him, honestly, until you brought him up, uh, Matt, just a while ago and um, uh, for this podcast, really. And um, both of these guys were born... Um, Elijah Cook was born in 1903. I want to say Whit Bissell was born in like 1909. But either way, they both acted into the 80s. Yes. So, I mean, these guys, prolific, prolific, prolific. (laughs) But if you're a film fan, even if you don't know their their names, you know their faces. You've seen Mm -hmm. them. And again, this is what we're going to get to him shortly. But this is where, and, and nowadays you just look it up online and you find out who these people are. Right. In you know, right up through the nineties, it was like you would see these people. It's like, oh, where have we seen this guy before? We've seen him in a dozen different things. Sure. And you get it gets to the point where you almost have this little thing in your brain where you get a little bit of joy when you see them again. You're like, Oh, it's that guy again. I right. Like it's almost like guy. going home. 
Yeah, it's almost like coming home, or like you know the movie is going to be just that much better when it has that guy in it. Um, in this case, Elijah Cook Jr., like as soon as I looked him up and saw his face, I knew immediately who it was. <laughs> like, oh, and, yeah, okay. <laughs> and that's the thing. Yeah. That's why I wanted to do this episode of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So third, to fill out the triumvirate of master character actors, well, we got to do Dick Miller. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows Dick Miller, especially from the Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, he has 184 entries in his IMDb page. His first film appearance was in Apache Woman in 1955, and oh. his final was in a movie called Hanukkah in 2019. Okay, so I understood that wrong. I thought his first appearance was in Roger Corman's Bucket of Blood. That was his first starring role. Okay, got you. And it's good that you bring up Bucket of Blood because in Bucket of Blood, he plays a character named Walter Paisley. Yes. He will play a character named Walter Paisley numerous times. Not the same character. For instance, in Hanukkah, he plays Rabbi Walter Paisley. Right. I was going to say, I thought his first and last film appearance, but now I understand that's not true. Not quite. No, in fact, he um, he appears as Walter Paisley in well in Terminator. He doesn't have a name, but everybody knows who he is. He's the the unfortunate guy selling the guns to right. the Terminator. He did uh, not have the laser pulse rifle in the ninety watt range. <laughs> uh, and here he, he thought he was having the best day of his life. Sure, he talks about I may close early today. Well, unfortunately, he did close early that day. Right. And what's interesting, too, is in the 80s, three other times, two other times, he will arm the the lead characters of a movie. For instance, in Night of the Creeps, he plays Walt. Now, we can only assume his last name is Paisley. I want to believe so. he, He definitely plays Walt, and Tom Atkins comes into the police station where he's the armorer. I would assume the the police yeah. armorer for that precinct, yeah, and asked for a flamethrower, so. and they have a little <laughs> laugh like a flamethrower. You need a flamethrower, yeah. I need a flamethrower, and he gets the flamethrower out. He's like, "All right, I just need the uh, paperwork for that." And Tom Atkins like, <laughs> "I forgot the paperwork," and once again, he gets a shotgun pointed at him. Mm-hmm. Now we can assume that Tom Atkins does not kill him. And they just take the flamethrower and leave. I'd like to think, yeah. And then in The Howling, he plays a character, get this, called Walter Paisley. And he's kind of an antique stealer. And mm-hmm. he's the one that has the silver bullets our hero comes and gets to go fight the werewolves at the end of The Howling. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Um, he's in Chopping Mall as a janitor who gets killed by the robots, again, playing a character named Walter Paisley. Yep. He's in both Gremlins movies as Murray Futterman, helping, you know, the lead to get those darn Gremlins under control. Yep. He was a favorite of Joe Dante. As near as I can tell, he was in every movie Joe Dante ever made. It certainly seems so, yeah. I was looking through that. Joe Dante, Joe Dante, Roger Corman, and of course, by extension, Joe Dante, right? Or Joe Dante, by extension, Robert, Roger Corman, because he was a favorite of both of us. Huh? Yes. Yes, he was definitely a, a and well, he seemed like even every time, again, this is why we love these people. They come in for these small roles, 
but they give it 110%. Yeah. Well, they make they the movie better. They make the movie better. They are extras who aren't who are giving extra. Right. Although right. extras is a little um yeah, and it I, usually refers to people, but you know, these it, these guys they do a great job and it's why they have almost 200 films or more to their credit. They can deliver the one line that you'll remember. Again, like, you know, Terminator. Like, I remember that scene vividly, and it's largely because of him. Um, you know, and just the way, like, again, he's just he's just amazing. And I and I want to see that bucket of blood. It actually looks pretty good. Have you seen it? I have. Again, it's been a while. It was one of those movies that TNT would play at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning okay. in the 80s and 90s. I guarantee you it's on one of those sets of movies that you can get like, you know, 10 horror movie classics right. for 50 cents. Right. If you, um, if you find it um, at some point, I want to check that out. That looks pretty fun. Now, next we are going to do Nancy Keys. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. K-Y-E-S. Yeah. Probably better known by her stage name of Nancy Loomis. Yep. Not a lot to her Credits, um, I think nine total, but well, one, she was in most of John Carpenter's early films, mm -hmm. and she gives a memorable, you know, she's attractive, she's awesome as Annie, she, she's awesome as Annie, she's, she's awesome, awesome as, Annie. As, as Julie, the ill fated secretary, absolutely, in, in Assault on Precinct 13. Where she wants to throw the guy back out and to the to the gang, and she right. gives them that. Don't give me that civilized look. She's awesome. Yeah, she is awesome. She's awesome. Exactly. She's the only one in all in the each of the first three Halloween movies. Right. She plays Annie Bracket in Halloween. Yep. The corpse of Annie Bracket <laughs> in Halloween too. Right. And then she plays Tom Atkins' wife which is the first time she's credited under her real name of uh, Nancy Keys. Right. But she is also in The Fog, where she appears alongside of Jamie Lee Curtis's mother and Jamie Lee Curtis, Janet Leigh. And um, she's in Assault on Precinct 13, as we've already said. So three of some of John Carpenter's best work and we've already discussed oh, sure. how much we like John Carpenter. Sure. Enough to name him twice. <laughs> you know? Yes. So, Ironically, Annie had no keys, which ultimately led to her death. I think even if she'd had the keys it would have been a problem for I her. I mean, eventually. But yeah. yes, um, and of course this actually makes her our first female inductee. I, that wasn't planned that it would be so male-centric, but you know, usually, unfortunately, the movies we watch tend to be male-led. Right, yeah, the movies we pick so far tend to be heavy action. So. Next we have, I think it's our personal favorite, Brian James. Sure. We discussed, like I said, we even just discussed doing a podcast dedicated to this man. Sure. He was still the one it. we noticed... Probably in the late 80s, early 90s, we noticed, like, it's that guy again. Mm -hmm. He's got a very recognizable look. Brian James made his... Which is helpfully identical in just about everything, whether his voice is or not. Like, he yes, looks the same in everything, which is great. Like, he's, he's you'll be, be like, oh, yeah. 
he's done some voice work as well. Yep. Um, he made his debut in an episode of Get Christy Love in 1974, where he played a character named Hopper. His last appearance was in 2005's Phoenix Point, where he played a character named Spider Rico. Great Most name. people are going to know him as Leon Kowalski, one of the replicants from Blade Runner. Um, his other probably big thing was as General Monroe in The Fifth Element. Yep. Uh, he was a big, big contributor to Walter Hill, who was one of my favorite directors. He was in both 48 Hours, you know, 48 Hours and another 48 Hours as mm-hmm. Keho, the detective who has the desk next to Nick Nolte. He was in one of my favorite Western Silver Wado as Hobart, who is the leader of the homesteaders that the characters helped bring to Silverado, the heroes. For Walter Hill, he did Hard Times, Southern Comfort. He was also in Red Heat. Uh, but if you really want to check him out, find it's it's tough to find, but it's a movie called The Horror Show. Mm-hmm. It's also been titled House Three, the horror show, where he plays the ghost of an executed mass murderer, Max Jenke, opposite uh, Lance Henriksen, who was the detective who brought him in initially. Mm-hmm. It's very similar in theme to Wes Craven's Shocker. And that came it out at the fan- same time. Yes, it is a fantastic horror movie that deserves more buzz. I couldn't find a copy out there. I Arrow... Arrow Home Media has a European release of it. So you would need like a PAL player, I think, to watch it. Um, wouldn't surprise me if it's just out of print and it's it's available if you can find it. But definitely the horror show. That and it's not nearly as good of a movie, but Nightmare at Noon, where he plays the main villain, simply known as the albino. Uh, Nightmare Noon will definitely be a movie we cover at some point. Yeah, it stars one, another of our favorite Wings Hauser. Oh yeah, um, Brian James plays the albino. He basically taints a small town's water supply, turning them into um, kill crazy maniacs. Now, uh, Nightmare at Noon is which is a very which is a dope movie. Um, a really 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 fun movie. We're definitely sure that's not Clifty Young though. No, it's Wing House. Okay, all right. Cool. I'll take your word for that. Um, It's it's also known as Death Street USA. um, Just just to rattle off, like, just to give you an idea, uh, because this is a guy um, that's easier for me because he's, you know, he's more contemporary than the other two actors, and I've seen all of these things that he's in. But just to give you a list of the people that he's worked with, the things that he's done, just really quickly. Like, if we were to try to even name all of the movies... It would take several podcasts just for him, let alone um, uh, like Whit Bissell with his 350. Uh, but but anyway, I'll just go through this real quick. Um, he was in he was in Roots. He was in Gunsmoke. He was in episodes of The Incredible Hulk. He is with um, he, you know, he worked with Robin Williams and Mork uh, and Mindy, um, Freddie Prinze. Uh, he was in Chips. Uh, he's worked with Keith Carradine, Powers Booth, Fred Ward, Peter Coyote, Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy, Harrison Ford, Rutger Howard, Dennis Quaid, Louis Gossett Jr., John Candy, Eugene Levy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Patrick Swayze, Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone, Lance Edrickson, um, to name others. Uh, he was even in, um, he was a parasite in Superman, uh, the animated series. He was in episodes of The A-Team, Quincy, Little House on the Prairie. 
I mean, he was taken from us in 1999, which really stinks because he'd still be acting to this day and who knows what his credits would be up to and what awesome stuff he'd be doing. But um, his spirit is definitely part of this podcast. We, yes, uh, he was really our first, the first character actor we, the two of us became a fan of, where we would get excited, like, oh, it's him. And mm-hmm. for the longest time, we didn't really know his name. Right. But we were, it's, it's, it's that guy again. Right. You, you, you didn't mention he was in the Magnificent Seven TV series. Oh, I forgot. Actually, I did know that. And you're right. I forgot to add that. I could have picked. Yeah, I could have added Michael Bain. I mean, he worked with everybody. If it was in the 90s, um, he worked with them. <laughs> it just seems so, you know, and rightfully so, because uh, he was in, you know, he was in comedies as well. Um, one of the more uh, memorable roles will be uh, obviously Tango and Cash um, with the immortal Robert Zadar, who um, we'll probably get to at some point and when, when we, at least when we get to uh, Tango and Cash anyway. Robert Zadar is definitely another future inductee into the TV movie rewind podcast um, thing. Now that's a name you may not recognize immediately, but you'll definitely recognize his face. Yes. Um, finally, for our character actors, uh, we are inducting a contemporary character actor, Dean Norris. Mm-hmm. Dean Norris, everybody probably knows him best as Hank from Breaking Bad the DEA agent brother-in-law of Walt. And he's fantastic in that. And I was surprised. He has 174 entries as of this podcast in his IMD page. Yeah. That puts him one over Brian James. Right. Um, he made his debut in something I forgot to look up and write down. Are you talking about, I guess there was some, um, so he's from Indiana, right? So I guess in Indiana, they had this like junior achievement, like TV network or something where basically they would have, you know, teenagers, high schoolers work on a TV show that they called ultimately beyond our control. And I guess it was like, it was like Saturday Night Live in a sense, like 10 years before Saturday Night Live, because this is the sixties and it ran from like the sixties until like 1986. And I guess, you know, it was huge in Indiana. I suppose you can find stuff of it on TV, but it was like huge in Indiana, won awards. It was sketch comedy uh, by the teenagers. Like, and part of the point was that um, the teens would write the show. They directed the show. They did all the lighting. They did all the tech. It was to give them like skills in that whole thing. And it sounded like a really neat idea. But anyway, he, he was part of that. I don't know if you so want to- So it sounds like a local access um tv show yeah like i think think local access you can't do that on television or well Something along those lines yeah. like the uh first season of mystery science theater which sure. was yeah. a local channel in uh yeah it was um, uh it was actually like it was a story that i kept reading on it was a, yeah it was interesting it was something like 20 years it was on the air in um in the, the area of south bend indiana and uh, it was this really neat idea where they would have a teen run, directed, scripted, everything sketch show um, in order to teach them how to do, well, exactly that. But I guess it was very good. And, and you know, again, he's a person we've seen numerous times besides his big, you know, uh, his regular role in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in movies like the Death Wish remake. Yep. He usually seems to play a cop or a soldier. Right. <clears throat> For instance, in, in Terminator 2, he was the leader of the SWAT team. 
Um, in The Big Bang Theory, he was a, a military general that works with the main characters to militarize one of their inventions. Uh, he was in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. He played Dina's dad in Superstore. He had a lead role in Under the Dome, but that was unfortunately a show I got tired of watching after about the third or fourth episode. Uh, I mean, I, I hung in there longer. Like I hung in, a, I hung in there for a season. But he's again. But he was awesome. Like him, <laughs> you know. And that's the thing you recognize when you see him. And again, because you have that recognition, you automatically either like or dislike the character, depending on how he's playing the role and what he wants you to do. Correct. Yeah, for me, yeah, no, I agree with that too. Like, I, I kept watching Under the Dome largely because I liked him and wanted to keep seeing him. You know, not to like to no offense of anyone else, it's just to me, it was a show that like, I, well, we won't get into it, but anyway, um, yeah, he's he's awesome. Like, he he's the kind of, he he's such a such great range too because he's one of these guys that can without really changing much about what he does um, can give off like a comedic performance or a very commanding performance um, with the same with almost the same lines you know uh he's just he, yeah he's great he's great and um uh, he, he you're right he's, he's usually like in some sort of um authoritarian kind of position because he sort of gives off that whole and, and i and i suppose ever since you know that's just what whatever uh, most of his roles would be but those can be comedic and they can be um very sincere and he, he was both in um breaking bad um he's he awesome. had a great character arc in, arc in uh breaking bad absolutely absolutely um, you know, especially where he comes off as, you know, this toxic macho alpha male. And then even in those early episode where Walt reveals to them that he has the lung cancer, immediately, you know, you see this human side of the character like, oh, my God, Walt, I had no idea. Right. You know, it was it just really well done. And it takes a really skilled actor to pull that off. Absolutely. Because he had like... Um... I mean, he was able to show an entire range throughout that series, and I'm so glad for it because uh, he was such a great part of that show. And uh, again, he's a guy like if he's in it, I'm immediately interested. <laughs> yeah. So now that's our six inductees to the um, six more, I should say, inductees into the uh, TV movie rewind Hall of Fame. And now we are going to give out what I will call, for lack of a better term, the Wit Bissell Awards. And these are we are going to give out to an actor in each of the movies that we've covered previously in this podcast. We're going to pick the Wit Bissell Award recipients. Uh, we'll start with our first movie that we covered, Assault on Precinct 13. I'm giving the Whit Bissell Award to the actor James Jeter. He played the precinct captain who hands over the station to our hero, Austin Stoker. I had considered it to giving it to uh, Henry Bruni, who played Officer Cheney, especially with that fall Officer Cheney takes after he's shot. He just drops to the ground and bounces for a second. It was amazing. But James Jeter, in his one scene, basically gives you a synopsis of what's going to happen in this movie 
all at once as he's, you know, loading that shotgun, talking to Austin Stoker, explaining, you know, what a terrible night it is. And all you need to do is send over any strays. He basically sets up the whole movie if you've missed anything up until that point. And he does a fantastic job of it. So for me, the Whip Bissell Award for Assault on Precinct 13 goes to James Jeter. Okay. Um, I'm going with, for the same movie, I'm going with Tony Burton, who played Wells, who is, I think he's my favorite character in the movie. Um, It's really unfortunate that he gets killed uh, because he's got like, of anyone in that movie, if I could project myself into the movie, like I'd want to be Austin Stoker, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to be Darwin Justin, like I'd want to be cooler than that. But, um, and not that Wells isn't, it's just that he's the most realistic guy there. Um, and I don't know, it's his performance that engages me every single time. Um, obviously you know him as well as Duke in the Rocky films. Um, he worked with uh, you guys. He, he worked in, uh, with Stanley Kubrick, and um, he he had a, he he was the garage owner, I think, in um, The Shining. Um, Steve McQueen, uh, he worked with in The Hunter. Like, uh, but to me, it's again, it goes to obviously the Rocky films. It goes to him as Duke in Rocky films, and it goes to Wells as um, uh, you know in, in Assault on Precinct Thirteen because that is the character that like I kind of can't wait to see is that performance his. his his like whole recap of how screwed they are and about, you know, that no one mentioned anything about the Cholo. He's just kind of like, Oh, we are all so screwed. You know um, he's not like, I mean, he's, he's scared obviously and has every reason to be, but at the same time, like he's, you know what I mean? He's not a coward or anything. Like he, he ultimately goes in fact volunteers to, cause he just knows how damn unlucky he is. And like, I just feel that the whole time I really do. And he's unfortunately right. Um, but yeah, Tony Burton, um, he, he kills it for me this movie. Okay, uh, for Beastmaster, I am going with Ralph Strait, who played Sacco, who was the villager whose daughter is rescued um, by Beastmaster in the beginning of the movie. Well, not the beginning of the movie, in the early portion of the movie, and then helps them out later. And he's got this great little part where the eagle shows up to him looking for help, and he's like... Oh, man, mm-hmm. I'm a coward. Why are you picking on me? Mm-hmm. Fine, I'll help you guys. It's it's a great little comedic role in a very serious movie. Uh, he did a great job with the small part. Ralph's, wow. Sorry. What did I say his name? Ralph right? Strait. Ralph Strait. Um, Ralph Strait as Sacco. Beastmaster with Bissell Award winner. Uh, I mean, all, all I can do with my choice is to piggyback onto yours, uh, especially given the type of movie it is. Like this, there's everybody's either like under lots of makeup or it's pretty much Mark Singer and an animal. And I suppose I could give all the animals um, awards. I'd certainly love to give the awards to Kodo and Poto. Maybe I can, or maybe that's cheating. May access dope, but I don't know you can really count him. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you can count Rip Torn, in which case I suppose I would. Um, but I'm going to have to go with at least by at, le- at least by the way I, I think about it, which is the character that isn't necessarily the protagonist or the antagonist. Um, yeah, it's going to be Ralph Strait. It's going to be Sacco. He's you know he's, he is just so fun. He, he, you're right. He does add he he adds the the little bit of comedy that this movie needs sometimes because while it is the lighter version, the the leaner version of Conan, it's still it's still pretty dark. 
All right. Uh, so for the next movie, Cobra, my pick was Marco Rodriguez, and he basically plays the supermarket psycho. And he does this great job as being this tr- twitchy, psycho, crazy guy who is basically there to open the movie, show how badass Stallone is, and be taken out pretty much immediately. But he plays the part to the fullest. Uh, he's very, very scary. And he handled it well. So for me, Cobra, Whit Bissell Award winner, Marco Rodriguez. Um, for me, I'm going to just about immediately go back somewhat on what I just said, and I'm going to end up picking Brian Thompson, uh, just because I really want to pick Brian Thompson. Um, technically the night slasher is a group of people. You could argue, um, you could also say, well, he's the main antagonist, but it has to be Brian Thompson. I can't not. Well, and the more I've learned about that movie, the more I would agree that Brian Thompson deserves all sorts of awards for Mm -hmm. playing that part. So, yeah. Like it's, he's deserving. Yeah, exactly. Definitely deserving. I just, I just have to pick him because I just do. For Runaway, I almost went with Stan Shaw, who played um, basically Tom Selleck's technical mm-hmm. buddy in the in the movie. He did a great job. I also considered uh, G.W. Bailey, who's always fantastic. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I went with Chris Mulkey who plays Johnson, one of the guys who helped create the chips that turn the robots into killers. Mm -hmm. Because for such a small part, he plays the heck out of it. Right from the beginning, it's his family that is killed by the robot-made gone rogue. Mm -hmm. And in that scene, he goes from grieving husband to absolutely terrified human being when he finds out that Gene Cinnamon's character is the one behind this and is coming after him. He does a marvelous job in his very limited screen time, which is everything a Whit Bissell Award winner should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, mostly, you know, in, in part so as not to pick uh, the same guys that you did uh, as much as I can. Um, but, I, but I had to go with G.W. Bailey uh, because he's just awesome. <laughs> he plays the great. He play like he he's almost always a complete. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. He's almost always a police commander of some sort. Like he's usually you know giving orders, right? And it's either hysterical, like because it's in police academy, or it's either like you know I, I guess advice. Um, what was he in most recently? I blanked exactly what we what he is in most recently, but he was in like uh, one of these crime shows. It wasn't Criminal Minds. The closer and um, the closer and the show it became after um, I forget what it was called when they when the the main oh, actress there, Kara Sedwick left and they kept the show going. Major crimes. There you go, major crimes. Yeah, like you can tell I watch it right, but um, no, like G.W. Bailey, like for me, he's he's always going to be. It's always going to be Police Academy for me. But um, what is cool about him in this movie, especially, is that so he's the same character basically that you've seen him in virtually everything else. But he's also like, he's just so different. Like he's, he's, he's angry, but he's, he's different angry. He mostly just wants like, he, he really just wants Selleck, uh, Selleck to like follow procedure and be like, hey, this isn't, you know, this is not a uh, runaway squad thing. This is like a bust. And he doesn't want him to swear on camera. <laughs> like he doesn't want to make the department look bad. It's just, it's just a different, like that's, I don't know, I really still love that movie so much. It's just so different <laughs> with the way it treats um, all that stuff now. 
Okay. All right. Moving on, we have Young Guns. And for me, it was no question that it was going to be Brian Keith as Buckshot Robert. Yeah. He kills it in his scene. He just kills it. He rides in, muttering under his breath, almost talking to himself half the time, and then challenges these six young gunslingers to a dance-off, basically. Let's dance. (laughs) And it's just an amazing scene, and he absolutely kills it. So Whip Bissell Award for Young Guns for me goes to Brian Keith. Um, I'm going to go with Terry O'Quinn. Um, Terry O'Quinn uh, does a great job as Alex. He's, he's um, essentially he is uh, Tunstall's friend. He's the uh, lawyer, if I remember right. And um, or at least that's his job anyway. And he was the one who initially deputized um, the young guns and then had to take their take it away when they sort of just became like a gang of vigilantes. Um, anyway, he's great in this movie and for whatever reason gets an entire magazine of a Gatling gun fired into him while he's literally waving a white flag. So um, he is great in this movie, but just that that scene alone deserves, uh, he, he deserves the witness award for this movie. And taking part in an active gun, being a participant, active participant in a gun fight would negate his uh, life insurance policy. Exactly, yes. And uh, I think he also had tuberculosis. He wasn't well. I forget exactly what he had, but probably tuberculosis, it seemed like. Because he was also like, More than like yeah, he, he was also like very, very sick at the time. Yeah. All right. Next up was Flash Gordon. And I had to go with Prince Volton, Brian Blessed. Oh, yeah. Simply for Gordon's alive. <laughs> and of course, dive. Or if I'm a flying blind on a rocket cycle. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Volton, of course. Um, I'm going with uh, I get, this guy is certainly not uh, a character actor, but he is my favorite character in this movie, and I am picking Chaim. I hope I said that right. Topol, Topol, um, Han Zaka. He's so awesome in this movie. I've, I've a movie filled with awesomeness. He is, you know, he he obviously pulls his weight. His voice is something I just want to like live in because uh, it just sounds so warm. Um, uh, many people, if you're aware, Fiddler on the Roof, obviously you know of him from the the, the, that's the famous film adaptation of that in the 60s and many, 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 you know, times over uh, Hollywood. And he's a, you know, he's an Israeli leading man um, in, in tons of movies as well. But he is my favorite. He's my favorite part of um, of uh, Flash Gordon because he brings he brings comedic relief without really being comedic. It's just the stuff that he says are so out there. <laughs> that are just so much fun. Like you had talked about uh, when we had been a, when we did the episode, we talked about like, oh, I knew it would be prime numbers. You know, I haven't changed. Um, like he's never really delivering a joke, but he also was delivering them brilliantly every time. So it's yeah, definitely, absolutely. He gets my yeah. I got you know he, he is a leading man, but uh, yeah, he's he's my favorite character, so he's getting the Whip Whistle Award just because I wanted to talk about him a bit. All right, next up the Brady Bunch, and I had to go with Alan Melvin who played Sam the Butcher, and especially because when I think back on the Brady Bunch, I think of Sam as being in almost every episode. Yes, but in in reality, he was only in like eight or nine yes and it's just impossible for me to wrap my head around it because he's such a 
staple, which just shows the power of Sam the Butcher and how much he put into that role. Now, granted, even when he's not on screen, he's being talked about. Right. He's often mentioned, but when I went back and looked and found that he was only in a handful of episodes, I was, I was shocked. Like, wow, this guy took the part and rode with it. He, you know, even though it's only like he's also in probably every at least one episode in every season, so he's there throughout the progression of the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was amazing. So for him, for me, Whip Bissell Award. Um, I'm I'm gonna piggyback onto yours again, unfortunately, and and a lot because like we didn't when we covered the Brady Bunch, we really didn't talk about him, and um, now is the time to do it because I'm with you. When I realized he was only in like six or eight episodes or whatever it was, um, I was stunned because you're right. Like for as much as he's referenced and for such an important part he plays, when you do see him, you do get the impression that he's there way more and and part way more of it. Um, cause he's part of some iconic stuff. Like remember the payphone? He's the reason for the payphone. He was the one who gave them yes. the idea for the payphone. In the house. And we didn't even cover that episode, but it's still a great episode where basically I'll just cover it really quick is essentially there's an episode where, um, the kids are racking up a phone bill, which was a thing in the sixties or late sixties. And, um, Sam kept saying, you know, Sam was talking about the same problem that he had in the butcher shop where he had people like wanting to use the phone, but they would bring up a bill. So he instead installed a payphone. And Mike said, all right, cool. And I had a payphone for a while because that's how awesome that show was. I still remember that. And I, I wish we had talked about it then. But again, he, he gets my the double Whit Bissell Award because he was such an important part of the show. And we unfortunately didn't talk about him when we had the chance. So he deserves it now, for sure. Not to mention his... Uh performance as dopey in the amateur production of snow white yes yes that's right all right so next is the wraith and i am going with jamie bozian who played the gutter boy yep because yeah he played that part extremely well he was very engaging he was one of the few people who seemed to really put everything into his character and uh, it worked for me so Jamie Bozian, Whip Bissell Award for his performance as the Gutter Boy. Yes, I, I love. I still love the fact that the Gutter Boy is the Gutter Boy, <laughs> and he is. Yeah, uh, he is awesome. Um, he he really is awesome. I'm I'm going with his buddy Skank. I'm gonna go with David Sherrill as Skank, who much like the Gutter Boy puts everything into his role and just completely owns it. And um, again, for the, the Wraith, like. Unfortunately, it's the bad guys that make this movie so much fun, um, especially Nick Cassavetes, and he's such a dirtbag. Like, you really don't want to like him, and it's not that you do. It's just that the gang is so kind of engaging. You know, the gutter boy is just fun, almost sympathetic. You always feel bad when they die. Um, Skank is a little bit different, but you can tell Skank, you know, maybe things would have been differently if he wasn't drinking battery acid and huffing everything inside. Uh, but anyway, he kills that role. So absolutely, David Cheryl. Skank and Gutterboy deserve it. They, they really do make this movie a lot more fun. Skank always seemed to be surprised by how bad the battery acid seemed to taste when he would drink yeah, it. Yeah, which he would just keep drinking. He, dr- <laughs> he constantly drinks it, but he always seems taken aback by it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they just, yeah, they, they really do lose themselves in that role. Like uh, the gang members, they really do lose, like Nick Cassavetes, he went to places that hopefully he's, you know, hopefully he's good now. <laughs> um, but uh, Skank and the Gutter Boy were fantastic. All right. For Commando, 
I was originally going to go with David Patrick Kelly as Scully. Sully. But Sully. But I think a lot of that is just because of his performance actually from the Warriors as Luthor. Right. So I reevaluated and I got to give it to Alyssa Milano as Jenny. Yes. Good. Yeah. Because it's okay. such a thankless role. It's such a, oh, she's the kidnapped daughter. She's almost a prop. Mm-hmm. But watching it again, she's so good as the daughter. Those, those, that opening montage of him and uh, of Schwarzenegger and Alyssa Milano, they are so charming together. It's adorable. It's so yeah. sweet. And you know what? Her character rescues yeah. herself. She's not, she doesn't just sit in that room crying. Curled up in a ball, like she's I not noxious. You know what I mean? You're right. You're right. Actually, you're right. Um, that's a really good choice. I mean, she she she's she's as afraid as she should be right, being captured by killers. No, but she doesn't lose her head. And here she is. What is she? If that, yeah. 13, I, I thought you'd maybe twelve. Yeah. So I, I'm going to oh, give yeah. it to Alyssa Absolutely. Milano. Um, I'm going to go with uh, for this for the same reason. Uh, for the same reason I mentioned when I picked him for my um, uh, my uh, six degrees, of, seven degrees of magnificent seven, uh, Bill Duke, uh, Bill Duke again. He's he's fantastic in this movie. He's fantastic in Predator. Um, he's fantastic in Payback, which is another movie I, I, I really love. Um, I probably should watch uh, Black Lightning. I, that seems pretty good. Uh, but no, Bill Duke is is he's one of my favorite parts of Commander. He gets my uh, this award for this. Uh, also mm-hmm. soon to be an inductee. And then, and then for Midnight Madness, yeah. which will surprise nobody, is Andy Tennant as Melio, the way we talked about him. I could talk about him forever. <laughs> I could talk about him forever. He is just... He I want to have... a damn movie. He just... Every scene... You, you could do college film ends. analysis courses on Melio. <laughs> Like he should be deconstructed like Shakespeare's deconstructed. You know what I mean? Like Melio is amazing. He's one of those. He obviously, when he was doing this movie, felt there's no small parts, just oh, small actors. He he uh, yeah he steals this movie. Um, I really want to pick Melio as well, um, but I'm gonna pick uh, Eddie Deason just because he deserved the love, um, uh, and he's awesome in this movie. Obviously, his facial expressions, his um, his his laugh throughout the movie, you know the way he's playing off uh, Maggie Roswell towards the end, um, just that nasty voice all the way throughout. Like he really kills it, and um, I, you know, he's fun. Every time I see him on screen, I'm I'm smiling because uh, he's got something. He's got this either goofy grin. My, my, one of my favorite things when I see him still is um, just that like slack jawed look with his ha- head in his hand as Leon as he's watching the video rather before Leon comes up. Like he just sets it up so well. Yeah, he's he is amazing. He he did he did great Absolutely. work throughout his entire career. Um, yes, so there you have it. Our first uh, our inaugural Whitnissel Awards and inductees into the TV Movie Rewind Hall of Fame. And you know, every now and then we are going to do an epi- episode like this. Maybe we'll cover other subjects. Yeah. But, um, for the most part, we will, like next week, we're just going to go back to reviewing a film. But uh, we felt it's important that 
we express our love for these actors and directors and these folks that just make the movies that they're in that much better and that much more enjoyable. Um, we would even mention a couple of times that, you know, like if we were to pick a patron saint of this podcast, it would probably be John Carpenter or Kurt Russell. But since they're still sure. alive, I'm going to say for now, the patron saint of this podcast is the late oh, yeah. great Bill Paxton. May he rest in peace forever. His, his, he started out as one of these people. In Commando, he's got a bit part. He plays the obnoxious older oh, brother shit. in what weird yes, science. Shit. I mean, we knew we we knew we liked yeah. him before we knew who he was. And aliens, he steals oh, yeah. every scene he's in. Um, he's famous, of course, for being the actor who was killed by a Terminator, by an alien, and by a predator. Um, it still saddens me to think of that he is gone. Um, so young, he had so much more to give, but. He started out as one of these smaller guys. He became a lead with uh, Twister, mm -hmm. showed he could carry a movie. His friend James Cameron obviously put him in a lead role in the Titanic for the, the modern day sequences. And he directed one of our oh, favorite yeah, movies, Frozen. Starred and directed, and he, yeah. that movie is amazing. And again, it's people like this that not only are we huge fan, they have huge fan followings, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, the mainstream often overlooks these people, um, and it's a shame. And, and if anything I want, really want to do with this podcast is not only promote some of these these smaller, uh, less obvious movies, but I also want to promote some of these these actors and actresses that have given it their all. And I think maybe, you know, every 10, 15 episodes or so, we'll come back and we'll do either something like this or something, I don't know, maybe a little different where maybe we'll talk about a movie's expanded universe as opposed to the movie. Like, I, you know, I don't see there's much point in us covering, say, Star Wars, because what could we possibly say that hasn't been said at least a hundred times. Right, I mean, their entire podcast for it, sure. But we could discuss, you know, the some of the expanded universe stuff that we enjoy. Same with, you know, other things. But um, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode as, you know, at least as much as you've enjoyed the others, assuming you have enjoyed them. But I want, again, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back again, and Thank we you hope everyone. you come back with us.